If you have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for Matthew chapter 10. And uh, we left off last week in verse number 27. So that's where we're going to pick up today in 1027. We, we've gone through um, sections and we're coming to the end of a section in Matthew here where um, G, uh, Matthew spends a lot of time about the genealogy of Jesus, who Jesus is. He proves Jesus's genealogy all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Adam. And then, and then we see Jesus being born. We see the wise men coming and hailing Jesus as a king. And then we see Jesus in his baptism and his temptation of Satan. And then we go into, and Matthew begins in chapter 5, to show Jesus as the greatest teacher that ever lived. And Jesus preaches the greatest sermon that was ever preached. We went through it, Matthew 5 through 7. It's commonly called the what? I ask a lot of questions, too, if you're new. And the reason why I do that is because you sleep a lot less if you have to answer questions in church. And no, really, because I, I want it to be interactive. I want you to stay engaged. In, in, and, and part of it is teaching. We're going to read a verse here in a minute where it says one of the things that Jesus did was he, t- he, he went out to teach and preach is what it says. So it's interesting that the Bible makes a distinction um, here. And Paul also many times in the New Testament, a distinction between teaching and preaching. Now, I think we need to do both. There's a time where, you know, you come to church and, and the focus of what we're doing is, is what Jesus did is to teach. And part of teaching is, you know, it, it can be work. It can be going through a lesson of, of teaching. But Jesus spent time teaching. There's other times where Jesus was preaching. And that's, that's more emotional. And that's more, um, you know, fired up to get saved and to, to, you know, get you motivated and encouraged and those things. But, but both are valid. And so on a Sunday morning, I like to think I teach a little bit, preach a little bit. And I, I don't like to teach as well as I like to preach. I'd much rather just preach. But... It's important that, that, that we teach the word of God as we go through as well. So, so Jesus was, was shown by Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount as the greatest teacher. And then we see this natural progression that happens in chapters 8 and 9 as we've walked through them. And what happened in chapters 8 and 9 around 10 what? 10 things happened. We studied in the last four weeks. 10 miracles of Jesus. And, and Matthew is showing us the power of Jesus over every area of life. He heals blind people and lame people. He, he commands the, the wind and the sea and the wind and the sea obey him. He raises a, a young girl from the dead. And he shows his power over sin and death, the ultimate miracle. And Matthew chronicles these ten miracles of Jesus after he shows him as the greatest teacher to show you and I that, that God absolutely, that Jesus has power over every area of your life. Do you believe that? No, you don't. I'm be lying up in church, man. You guys got that bill you couldn't pay this week and you didn't know how it was going to happen. And God, God had control over every part of your life, except for that one bill that you didn't know how you were going to pay. You had that one sickness, that one trouble in your life that you've stressed over or you've fretted over because you just didn't really believe that God had power over that area of your life. Well, that's why God, God gave you Matthew 8 and 9 so you can go back through it and you can see and be encouraged to know that God absolutely has power over every area of your life leading up to death. And then we get to chapter 10 where we are today and, and it begins a new section, 10 and 11. Um, and 12. And it starts with Jesus doing something that that's a natural progression for you and I as Christ followers. Somebody say, amen. You don't even know why yet, 
But um, there, there, there is a natural um, idea that God has for your life as a Christ follower. And, and the, the, the principle in, in a nutshell is come and see, go and tell. You guys say that with me. Come and see, go and tell. So, so Jesus in chapter 10, now he gets practical. I've taught you um, for, for three chapters important things about life. I showed you power and, and I did ministry before you. Now it's your turn to go out and duplicate what I've been teaching you. And then, and then what's going to happen? Jesus said, I'm going to send you out uh, as lambs among wolves. Thanks, Jesus. Like, really? You're going to send me out as a lamb among a wolf? But that, that was in his, in his wisdom. And he's God. I guess he can do that, right? And so he sends us out as lambs among wolves. What happens when lambs go out among wolves? They get beat up if they survive, right? They get, they get scratched. They get cut. They get hurt because they have no defense system. They, they, they're not very smart out there. And, and, and so we go out and among the world and we have struggles and we have trials and we have things in life that, that, that can hurt at times. And we come back together and, and, and in the church setting, God says that, that we come together and we edify one another. We love one another. And this is the progression that Jesus is teaching here in Matthew and, and, and demonstrating for us. So in 10, he sends them out on a practical mission. So you guys come out, you know, in our church, we, we have a big sign by the exit and it says, you are now entering the mission field. You know, people think, oh, and if I'm going to be a missionary or I'm going to go on mission, I got to go to Africa. I got to go to China. I got to go somewhere around the world to be a missionary. But, but you won't walk across the street and tell your neighbor about Jesus or you don't understand that leaving this door, you are now in the mission field. But again, that wave and that design that God has, um, for you and I as Christians, the natural progression as you grow in the Lord as a Christ follower is that you're supposed to share your faith. You're supposed to tell people about Jesus. And that's where we are right now. Jesus sends the 70 out. They go out. They have some great success. Remember, they come back all fired up and they're like, Jesus, cool stuff happened. You will never believe it. And it says that Jesus had so much joy in his heart. And I love it that, that one of the things that's recorded for us about our Lord, about our Lord Jesus, is one of the things that brought him joy was this day when the disciples came back from their mission. And, and they were pumped because they, they, they were used by God to do some cool stuff out in the world. And it said it brought Jesus joy. And it brings Jesus joy in your life. And, and, and about you, when you go out and do things for the Lord and God uses you in a way and you get excited and you come back and you thank the Lord for some victory and some opportunity. And so then we come to this section where we are now in verse number 27. And um, in a nutshell, where we're going to go is Jesus is going to talk about the struggles of ministry or spiritual battles. It's really cool because this is where we are in our sermon today. And last week, Jay shared with us and uh, did an amazing job, by the way. And so um, Jay threw down the word and what God put on his heart to share was about spiritual battles out of Ephesians 6 and how to deal with spiritual battles. And that's where we are right here in Matthew chapter 10. Now, I want to tell you. Um, some churches in some places and, you know, maybe uh, some of the folks that are on TV on certain channels and certain religious programming that you might catch on TV um, teach a, a doctrine that I guess we call a faith doctrine. And the faith doctrine basically in a nutshell, and I'm not going to put anybody in a box or label anybody this morning, but for some, basically the idea is that God wants you to be happy, healthy and wealthy. And it rhymes, too. So it works good when they're preaching. 
And, and as long as you keep showing up and, and, and you write a check and, you know, and, the, and you, you know, I've heard these guys say stuff like, you know, I'm not ashamed that I drive a Lamborghini. And, you know, if you got a Lamborghini and you're ashamed and you want to drive it, give me your keys. I'll drive two of them. You know, and, and I, I hear these sermons on, on 1 Corinthians chapter 11, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And the guy spends 40 minutes preaching this sermon to, to, to come to this point. You see, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is faith. Completely changing what the word of God actually says. But, but in this doctrine, they, they don't ever talk about trials and troubles that we face in life. And they don't ever want to say anything that's offensive to you. And, and those churches are growing. Some of the biggest churches in the nation are what we call seeker-friendly churches. Or churches where the pastor is going to smile pretty and he's not going to... There's huge sections of the Bible he'll never teach. There's controversial areas he'll never touch on. There's, there's parts of the Bible that aren't really feel good. So he stays away from those. And he just preaches every Sunday some happy part of the Bible. And there's many, there's, there's a lot of that. There's tons of happy sections in the Bible that are real encouraging and, and real uplifting and, and, and will really, you know, leave encouraged and on a high. And when we come to those sections in the Bible, that's exactly the way we're going to teach it. But, but we can't, and we don't want to make the mistake as some do of ignoring the other part. This is, this is a promise of God. Now, one of the things we do with the promises of God is we, we love them, right? They're, they're on our calendar on our desk. And every day we flip the calendar to the next page, and what do we see? The new promise of God. We put them on our fridge. We make bumper stickers. Let me give you a promise of God. Let me ask you if this is on the bumper sticker on your car. If you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. That's a promise of God. Is that one on your bumper sticker? Do you have a little cherub, a little fat, you know, fat baby there holding his little card with that promise on it on your fridge? No, you don't. Right. And, and all the way through, Jesus said in John chapter 15 in verse number 18, that if the world hated me, the world is going to hate you. How many of you guys have that across your fridge? Everyone will hate me. The world hates me. I'm so glad to be a Christian. Such a Christ follower. But listen, here's, here's the reality. And, and here's what I don't understand about some of these places is because, you know, even the places that teach if you have a sickness, it's because you don't have enough faith. That's a bunch of hogwash. Paul had a sickness that he, he couldn't, he, God never healed. Paul prayed three times and asked God to heal him of his ailment. You tell me, the apostle Paul didn't have enough faith? And they say, oh, you're sick because you don't have enough faith and God wants to heal everybody. We just had a gentleman, they were telling me where I was at home. I was at our home church on Sunday, our sending church. And uh, I, I, I preached part of the sermon back there last Sunday. And um, they had this guy show up and he said, he said that he had a, the gift of healing and he could heal everybody. True story. Right next door to the church is a convalescent home, um, an assisted living home. And our assistant pastor said, hey, take a walk with me if you would. And the guy's like, da, da, da. So the guy's like, all right. So he walks with Bob and they're walking. And like, the guy's like, where are we going? Well, he realizes that they're walking towards the hospital. And Bob says, you said you could heal everybody. Let's go. Let's go heal everybody. The guy's like, well, it doesn't work like that. Well, yeah, obviously. God, God doesn't heal everybody that way. And it's just, it's just not, not the truth that some people go through things in life. But listen, when you, if you tell people that, what, what happens in real life? You know, how many of you guys in here, since you become a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, you, you just had no trouble in your life? Nobody? Me neither, right? I had lots of trouble. And, and so doesn't it make more sense just to be upright and honest in the front? Listen, as a Christ follower, you're, you're still going to face trials in your life. 
You're going to face difficult things. The world is going to hate you. You're going to have spiritual battles. You're going to have struggles. God declared enemy on the devil, and the devil declared a war on you in the beginning of the Bible, right in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the proto-evangelicum, the first time that God mentions the plan of salvation through the gospel and the death of his son and the war between Jesus and Satan. Genesis 3, 15, the, the God is talking to Satan and he's pronouncing a curse and declares war, and there's been war between Satan and us ever since. You don't want to face spiritual battles in your life. You don't want to face hardships or trials. Just get on that broad road that leads to hell. I'm not recommending it. But the reality is if you're already on, Jesus said there's two roads, right? One broad road that leads to hell and and many will go thereby and one narrow road and few thereby will find it. If, If you're on that broad road and you're already going the way Satan wants you to go, he has no reason to mess with you. And, and really, he has only so much energy, and he's spending his energy trying to stop those that are on the narrow road that are Christ followers. And, and so as Christ followers, we're going to face spiritual battles. I love, I love, you know, what Jay shared last week with our church along that front, that, that we face spiritual battles, and we're going to face things in our life. But here's the good news. You never have to face them alone. You face them with the King of kings and the Lord of lords who goes before you. And, and I'd rather be a doorkeeper, King David said, in the house of my Lord than dwell in tents of wicked. And, and to be in the house of the Lord, to be in a place where, where God is with you and God is going to protect you. And so Jesus is telling us this part of the story here. Let's get into it. That was just the intro, by the way. Verse 1 says, verse 27, <laughs> Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. So I think when Jesus says, whatever I speak to you in the night, I think that's pretty practical. I think that's the reality um, when he's talking to his disciples that day and he's saying, hey, what you hear in the night, go preach from the housetops, preach it in the day. And no doubt, can you imagine being there, right? It's, it's just any evening, it's Tuesday evening, the work is done for the day and Jesus and the disciples settle in somewhere around the Sea of Galilee or wherever they are and one of them makes a fire and Peter breaks out the fish and they're like, hey, Jesus, will you cook the fish tonight? Because it always tastes the best when you make it, you know. And Jesus puts like exactly the certain amount of salt grains on each bite so it's perfect, you know. And he, Jesus seasons it up for them and they fry it up. And, and they're sitting around the bonfire and they're eating fish and they're hanging out. And Jesus is teaching them. He's talking to them. He's discipling them. He, he's, he spent three years doing this with them, spent every hour of every day with them for three years. And, and they're, they're talking and they're learning and they're growing. And, um, and Jesus says, those things that you hear at night, preach them from the mountaintops. And that's the same for you in your life today. Listen, the things that God speaks to you in your life devotionally, when you're, you're at home and your prescription, by the way, is right. If you want to have good success and be prosperous, the Bible says to meditate upon the word of God day and night and be careful to do all that's in it. Then you will have good success and be prosperous. Only a couple times in the Bible where God uses the words prosper and success, and they both have to do with, with being devotional to God, spending time with God in his word specifically. And, and so as you're spending that nighttime, that morning time, maybe before the sun comes up and it's still dark with the Lord, and God begins to speak things to your heart. Maybe it happens in church. Maybe you're listening to a sermon. Maybe it's on the radio. Maybe it's another time where God speaks something devotionally to you. What God wants you to do is he wants you to scream it from the mountaintops and share it. Now, I'll tell you, you guys ever had something happen in your life where like 
you know, like God spoke to you something really cool. Maybe it was in a sermon, not at this church, right? Because that probably wouldn't happen. But may, maybe somewhere else where you, you heard something, you, you received something from the Lord into your spirit. And it was really cool. You were excited about it. And then like a month later, you're thinking about it. You can remember something really cool happened, but, but you don't remember what it was. Like, and you can't remember that thing that was so cool a month ago. Anybody? No? No? Okay. Um, by show of hands, by applause. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. It happens to me all the time. You know, and, and, and here's what I found. The things that I share, the things that God gives me that I go tell somebody else, those things become a part of me. Those things I can remember easier. Those things, the next time I go to recall them, they're, they're, they're just a part of, of the things that I remember and who I am. But the things that I just kept in and they were really cool, but I never shared them. I never put them on the housetop. I'll lose them and I'll forget them. And a healthy body of water is a body of water that has water coming in from one side, going into the, into the body of water and then leaving the other side. It makes the water healthy. That's your life as a Christian. If, if water comes in one side and you only receive from the Lord and you never give out, what happens to the water? It becomes stale. It becomes no life can live in it. It becomes the Dead Sea. And so give out those things that God gives you. It'll, it'll help you grow. It'll, it'll help you remember them. And it's, and it's just the will of God. Amen. And then he said in verse 28, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And so God doesn't want you to fear man. Are you guys afraid of what men can do to you? I think probably, you know, maybe a little bit of both on the, on the effect of like, am I afraid of men killing me? No. Am I afraid that men could torture me or hurt me? No. But we are in an essence, maybe a boss, Maybe some man or woman in your life that has control over your situation. Maybe somebody that's a, a higher up in your business, in, your, in, in something that you're doing, and you fear them, or you fear um, a relative, and you, uh, a family member. But here God says, don't fear anybody in your life, any human, because they can hurt you and they could kill your body, but rather fear God who controls both your body and soul. And can throw both your body and soul into hell. We see this demonstrated so many times in the Bible. I think of, um, I think of Peter, right? Peter and John, book of Acts, early, early part. They're preaching the gospel. They get arrested. They get beaten. And then, and then they're thrown back out into the streets. And they say, no longer preach in the name of Jesus. And if, the, if you do, there'll be further consequences. And Peter and John said, whether you obey God or men is up to you to decide. But as for us... We're going to obey God. And they go out and they begin to preach the gospel right in the streets again, not fearing man or what man can do to them. I think of Billy Graham. You know, of all the people in my life as a Christian, I, I don't think there's anybody probably that I respect more than Billy Graham or that, that I feel like that I've seen personally God use more than Billy Graham. I've read lots of books. I got saved in 94. Someone do the math for me. 24 years. All the books I've read as a pastor in Bible college and since, I think the best, my favorite book I've ever read was the autobiography of Billy Graham. Such a fascinating, amazing story. A guy who was the personal spiritual advisor to every president for the last 60 years, both Democratic and Republic. A guy who's spoken to more kings and queens and presidents all around the world than anybody else in our lifetime, maybe in history. 
um, one of the stories I love about Billy Graham was that Billy Graham was in England doing his crusades in the 50s. And the Queen of England, who has been reigning now for like 622 years, something like that. Like she feels like she's been there forever, right? The Queen of England is like in her, she's got to be getting close to 100. And people underneath her that want to rule, they're like, man, this woman's, this woman's forever. But I love her. I love the Queen of England because of this story. She invites, she hears his preaching and something is really fascinating to her about the preaching of Billy Graham. She knows nothing about him. She invites him to the palace to, to do church services in her private, private settings. And Billy Graham begins to preach for the Queen of England um, in, in private settings. And then her and, uh, her and Billy Graham become friends and they go on walks, just the two of them together in the, in the palace. And they talk about spiritual things. And Billy Graham has, has shared some stories about some of her favorite verses and some things that happen. Now, over the years, every time Billy is in England, he gets a personal invite from the Queen of England to come to the palace and spend time with her as also her, one of her spiritual advisors. And Billy has to be careful what he says about the Queen of England. And, and, and because she officially is the vicar of the Church of England, and so she can't come out either and, and endorse Billy Graham's brand of evangelical Christian because of her role as the, the, the leader of the Church of England. But she can say, you know, she, she obviously is a fan of Billy Graham and his ministry. And Billy Graham of her would just say that she's a right-on born-again Christian. And she loves Jesus and she knows the word. And, 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 you know, the thing about Billy Graham, never been afraid of men. I remember, I remember seeing Billy Graham before, um, one of the biggest political audiences that have ever assembled. It was about 20 years ago and it was a prayer breakfast in Washington and everybody was there on both sides of the aisle. Every Senator and, and, and Congressman and president was there and cabinet and Billy was to address the, these folks at the prayer breakfast, and he never once got political. And he, and he came and he preached the truth. He preached about sin. He preached about the sin on, on, on Capitol Hill. And he just straight walked the gospel in a straight line, was not afraid of men or what they could do to him, but he only feared God. And so um, there's another story, of a true story, of a pastor in England around King Henry VIII. And his name was Pastor um, Latimer. And Pastor Latimer had an opportunity to preach to King Henry VIII. And now, in that time, there was lots of persecution that was coming from, the, from England upon Christians and, and born-again Christians. And um, also, the Catholic Church at that time was, was, high, was persecuting Christians and killing them. And, and so, when this, when this pastor was given opportunity to speak to the King of England, the King of England had opportunity to, you know, off with his head. And they said, King, they said, Latimer... Be careful what you say because the king, of, the king Henry, the king of England is going to hear you today. And then they said, Pastor Latimer, be careful what you say because the king of kings is going to hear you today. And more importantly than what the king of England could do to him, what the king of kings was going to hear. And, and that's more important in our lives. Amen. And then he says, um, he says the reason in 29, 30 and 31, he gives you the reasons why. Um, he wants to encourage you. And basically the reason is because he loves you. And then he's going to illustrate his love for you and his compassion for you in the next three verses with these illustrations. And the first one being, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. 
but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than the sparrows. So these little sparrows, which were the, the least in the, in the animal kingdom, of all the things, of all the animals, these are the least. They're just little tiny, little tiny birds. They would eat them, which is interesting. You know, in some places they don't have a lot of protein in their diet. And, you know, I was in China and when I was in Taiwan, they have a night market. And the night market in Hong Kong gets the most notoriety where they sell all the knockoffs and it happens at night. They set up this swap meet type thing at night. And, but the one in Taiwan is the largest night market in the world. And they have all the food vendors, all the t-shirt vendors. That's where you get all the knockoff stuff. You go in and buy an Adidas shirt and, it, and instead of AS at the end, it says ES, it's Adidas. You can buy, you can buy really fancy Calvin Klein underwear and nice stuff. You can get your Noki shoes, you know, N-O-C-E and N-I-C-E and, you know, everything's one letter off and, but they have all these food booths that were there. And so when I was there, a friend that lives there, he, he hands me a skewer with some meat on it, you know, and he tells me to eat it. And of course they say, well, hold on, we want to get a picture. So I, I know it's not, I don't know what I'm eating, but I know it's something funky, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I took, I take this skewer and I pose for the picture as I'm getting ready to take a bite of whatever's on it. And He's like this in the picture laughing at me. So then I eat it, you know. I don't know, it tastes like chicken. It always tastes like chicken. What was it? And they're laughing. Ah, that was chicken butt. <laughs> chicken butt. You just ate chicken butt. It's like, what is chicken butt anyways? But I guess it's a thing. They, they skewer it and fry it and I ate it. But you have all these things. You know, they do mice. Like they just take the skewer and they stick it in the mice. Just whole. Dip them in the fryer and they fry them and they come out. And it's like one bite and it's gone and... It's just the way they eat. Well, these sparrows were like that on the streets. They were sold for two for half a penny. You could buy four of them for a penny. So, so these sparrows that, that you can buy on the streets of Jerusalem, four for a penny that were valued at nothing, um, God says that, that he takes care of them. You know, Jesus said this on another level too to encourage you and I. Listen, if, if God says, if, if I take care of, we see the birds, we see the animals, and we naturally see this natural progression. And some of us might look out and say, oh, well, Mother Nature and n- natural things just, and God has put a lot of that in motion. But God wants you to understand and me to understand that he supernaturally attends the animals and he takes care of them. And he makes sure that they get taken care of. And he says, if I do that for the animals, how much more will I do that for you? I love you. I care for you. And then he says in the next verse, what does he say in the next verse in verse 30? He says, I even know how many hairs are on your head. For some of you, that count is a lot easier than others. For Jason, that count is zero. For me, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a few more than zero, but it's shrinking every day. Yeah. Yeah. I was coaching basketball this last year and I'm, I'm like this, I'm bent over in front of the team and I'm coaching and my wife is in the stands above me and she takes a picture of me and she puts it on Facebook Oh, my husband's coaching his kids. And I look at the picture and all I see is the back of my head and the bald spot that's starting to form. And I'm like, oh, thanks. You put my bald spot on blast all over, all over Facebook, you know, and, and losing hairs. And my, I'm in L.A. I got, I got two brothers that were there this time. And um, my brother, Darren, he's 10 years older than me. My brother, Sonny, is four. So my brother, Darren's 10 years older than me. So he's like 37. And then my brother, Darren... Or Sonny, he's like 15 years older than me. So they both got full head of hair. Like no bald spots, no receding. I'm like, this ain't right, man. You guys are both 10 years older than me. And anyways, the Lord knows how many hairs are on your head. That was the point of that. 
But why would God say that? Why would he tell you that? He's making a point. What's his point? His point is that he cares for you. And he cares about every detail of your life. And if he spends time to count the number of hairs that are on your head, does he care about the other details of your life? If he cares about you more than the sparrows, does he care about the, the, the everyday um, struggles that you have, the, the emotions that you feel? Somebody's been going, oh, I'm just being emotional. God doesn't care. No, God cares. Oh, I'm being ridiculous. God's not concerned with this. No, God is concerned. God is compassionate. He's going to take time to count the hairs on your head. He, he's going to take time to count the concerns in your heart. And that's the point that he's making, that he cares for you. And then he says in verse 39, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will, will find it. I call this verse the great irony. Everybody say great irony. Here's the great irony of, of, of this verse and of what Jesus is talking about. Now, first of all, the concept is this. Listen, if you want to find your life, you have to do the opposite of that, which is what? Lose it. If you, if you keep your life, what's going to be the result? You're going to lose it. So those are the opposites. But here's the great irony. We, we keep things in our life because we want to experience a blessing. Somebody say a blessing. Right? Let me give you a classic example. I enter into a relationship outside of my faith. That, that relationship affords me a certain blessing. And I know what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that I should not be unequally yoked together with non-believers. But, but I, I like the things about the relationship. It brings joy. It brings happiness. And I want to be happy. I want to have joy. And, and so I, I, I do things in life. I hang on to things in life. I hang on to other things in my life. When I was 14, I was introduced to me personally. When I was 14, I was introduced to Jesus Christ. And, and, I, and I believed in Jesus at 14. And I said a prayer at 14 to ask Jesus in my heart. But I didn't get saved at 14. Because my prayer that I said was not a prayer of surrender of my life. The prayer that I said was, I don't want to go to hell, but I like parts of my life, so I'm not going to give them all up to God. I just want to give the part of my life that doesn't have to go to hell, but I'm going to hang on to these other parts because I had begun smoking weed at the time. I started to like girls, and I thought that stuff was cool and it was going to bring me joy. And I figured I, would, I wouldn't be very cool at school if I was a Christian. And so I didn't surrender those things. I hung on to my life thinking that I would find joy. And the great irony is that you know where I ended up by the time I was 18, 19 years old? Completely miserable, completely broken, completely empty, completely addicted to drugs at 19 years old and a substance abuse problem and a girlfriend who was pregnant at 19 years old. And by the grace of God, at 20 years old, I got saved. And I really this time committed my heart and life to God. And this time I lost my life and I gave every part of my life to God. And then what happened? I found all those things that I didn't want to give up my life for. All those things that Jesus wanted. Here's the great irony. This, this is what God desires for your life. God desires amazing blessing for you. He has for your life tremendous blessings. And all he wants you to do is, is, is just abide by what he's telling you to do so he can give you these blessings. And we say, no, I can't do what you want me to do because I want these blessings. And he says, no, you dummy, do what I'm telling you to do and you'll get the blessings. No, I can't do what you want to do because I want these blessings. And that's the great irony. It's not like God is some killjoy who doesn't want to give you all those things. He wants nothing more than to give you all those things in your life that you desire. And the reason why you don't experience them is because you won't walk in obedience to what it is he's told you to do. 
And if you would just give up your life, you would find it. If you would just trust him. Do you guys believe that song that we sang today? He's a good, good father. How many of you guys have children? How many of you guys has nieces and nephews if you don't have children, right? Like, would you give them good gifts? Would you bless their lives? Do you want what's best for them? If you had opportunity, somebody came to you and just randomly gave you two envelopes and said, there's $1,000 in this one, there's 10000 in this one. You can give either one to Caleb, whatever one you want. You'd give him the big one, right? Like, you'd want to bless him. That's just human nature. God wants to do the same for you. God, God wants nothing more than to bless your life. And we miss God's blessing because we hang on to parts of our lives. Amen? So that's why that's the great irony. And then the last little section. Um, no? How did I miss the whole section? Oh, I missed that little two verses there, 32 and 33, right? I'm glad you guys are paying attention. Now I only got a minute left. All right, but hey, we can't miss 32, 33. Let's look at 32. It says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my father who was. I thought, man, I'm doing good. I got three verses left. I'm going to be done on time. All right. Verse 32 says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him, I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Listen, really simply. The scariest verse in all the Bible, we studied it a couple weeks ago, is those people come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we prophesied in your name. We did good works in your name. We cast out devils in your name. And Jesus is going to say to those folks, depart from me, I never knew you. Scariest verse in the Bible is for those that are going to hear that, for Jesus to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. We really preached that that Sunday because the whole point of salvation was Jesus recognizing who you are. Not the works that you've done, not, not where you've been or what you've cast out or who you've, what you've done in the name of the Lord. But the, the bottom line at the end of that story was those that Jesus recognized and knew their name, they got in. Here we have something very similar. Jesus says that if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. And that's a scary verse because you'll be in that same position that the other folks were. And now you're standing here. You're trying to, to have access to heaven through the father, through Jesus. And he's going to deny you. And when the father says to Jesus, Jesus, is this your child? Is this, is this, is this one yours? Because didn't God say, Jesus, of all those that I've put into your hand, Jesus said, of these the Father has given me, I've lost none. So, so God is going to, in essence, right, he's going to say to Jesus, are they in your hands? Are these the ones I give you? Because those are the ones that go into heaven. And, and, and Jesus is going to say of the folks here, right, what does it say? He's, he's going to deny them before the Father. No, no, I don't know that person. They're not in my hands because I don't know them. And part of the deal is Jesus never calls anybody privately. You find it and you show me. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus ever call anybody privately. Everybody that he calls, he calls in public. And everything that he does is publicly because he, at some point you, you have to be unashamed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can't be embarrassed of, of being a Christian. You can't be embarrassed to be a Christ follower in your family, in your home, at your work. You know, we do altar calls sometimes, right? Like this, with every eye closed and every head bowed so nobody else in here knows and we don't embarrass anybody. If you want to become a Christian and ask Jesus in your heart, say this prayer with me or raise your hand. Nobody's looking. It's okay. You can do it. And I do that sometimes. 
I do it the other way too. But, you know, maybe I figure that person needed that and eventually they'll, they'll, they'll open up and that's what they needed that day. So we'll not want to embarrass anybody unintentionally or intentionally just unnecessarily embarrass people. But the reality is at some point, that's also why I do come forward altar calls at times. And I challenge you to get out of your seat in front of everybody and come forward because that's really where the rubber meets the road. Jesus never called anybody privately. And Jesus here is looking for us. And what is he saying in these two verses? He wants you to confess him. If you deny him, he's going to deny you. If you confess him, he'll confess you. He wants you to confess him among your peers. Amen? Amen. And then um, in verse 34, it says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a what? But a 1911 Kimber 45? That's what it would be today. Um, So... A sword does what? A sword divides. Okay? And we we are wrapping up here, you guys. A sword divides. Now, didn't the angels announce when Jesus was born that the whole purpose that he came was goodwill, peace on earth towards all men? And now here Jesus says, no, I didn't come to bring peace. Well, hold on. Didn't the angels say you came to bring peace? Which is it? Well, obviously, Jesus is the God of peace. And Jerusalem is the city of peace. But, but the reality is that, that, that for Christ followers, there, there's a part of us that, that brings division. Has anyone been divided from their family because of Jesus? Has anyone been divided from extended family when you became a Christian? Has anybody in here been disowned because you went home and you told somebody in your family that you're now a Christian? Jay, who taught last week and his mom came and she, she's LDS and, and Jay loves her and preached the gospel. But Jay shared with you guys last week that, went, that he was one of the only people in his family that are evangelical Christian. Most of his family is LDS. And that created a huge divide in his family and does to this day because his faith is different. And, and again, that's the reality of what Jesus is saying. And it's just true. I was the first one in my immediate family that became a Christian. And it created a sword. It created a divide. In my family to this day, I just got done spending a week with them. And, and we're, we, we're to this day, all my brothers and sisters are all there. Everybody's tight. And everybody who could be there was there. But, but there was a season. There, there was a long season where there was a lot of division. And there was, there was a lot of, they, they were mad at me. Because I just wasn't moving in the same direction they were. I didn't want to drink and party anymore. And I was, I was, I was going to church and I was growing. And I was real, real busy involved in my church. And I didn't have as much time to do family things with them. And they felt betrayed. And they felt hurt. And it created a real division in our family. And now today, many of, of, of my family, my brother was the next one. My brother got saved. My brother now is walking with Jesus. He's a pastor. He's an assistant pastor at a church in Palm Springs, California. He, he came and preached for me a couple months ago and, is, and loves Jesus and is doing big things for Jesus. My uncle, who I shared about, um, became a Christian and, and runs a mission in L.A. And God's using him as a, as a leader and an elder and a, a board member in several ministries down, down there. And my aunt's a Christian. My mom has started going to church. My mom's boyfriend has started going to church recently. And so, you know, lots of good stuff has happened. But there was a lot of years where there was a divide in our family because of Jesus. And the point that Jesus is going to make, listen, is that he comes first. Everybody say Jesus first. And that, that's just a simple point as we wrap up, you guys, as I'm trying to speed up here because we're almost done. Um, but the simple point is that you, you have to be in a position. He's going to say, you're not worthy to be my follower if you don't put me before your mother, brother, sister. You know, how many of you guys say, you know, all my kids are the most important thing in my life. My husband's the most important thing in my life. 
if God is not the most important thing in your life, you're doing a disservice to, to your wife, to your kids. Okay? God comes first, and then God's going to help you love your kids the way you're supposed to love them. God comes first, and then God's going to help you love your husband, love your wife the way you're supposed to love them. But Jesus, what Jesus is going to say here is that he comes first in your life, unequivocally. Absolutely, Jesus first in every way, right? And he says in verse 35, For I have, not, I have come to set a man against his father. It kind of seems crazy for Jesus to say this, right? Like, I've come to bring a sword. My, the reason why I'm here is almost like if he's diabolical, but we know he's not, right? I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against a mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Now, I think what happened was Jesus just realized that that was going to be the inevitable um, result, and he's preparing us. And I love it, and that's what Jesus does. And that's what I tried to share earlier in the sermon, was that rather than just say, oh, life's going to be great... It does us better as Christ followers to prepare ourselves for the roadblocks, for the things that are going to come up. And Jesus realizes that this is one of the areas that, that, is, that Christ followers are going to face, and he's preparing them. And so the reality is the enemies will be in your own household. You know, and, and for us, maybe not, not so bad, right? Maybe here in Utah, a little worse. In Jay's situation, a little worse than in mine my family's not religious and they just didn't like that, you know, I wasn't doing what they were doing. But what about in a Jewish family? You know what happens today in a Jewish family? If somebody in a Jewish family comes home and tells their mom and dad that they believe in Jesus as the Messiah, they're, they're literally disowned. And, and they, 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 they have an actual funeral service for that member of the family. And then they count them as dead from that point on. What about in Islam? In Islam, it's not a fake funeral service. They kill you and have a real funeral service and count you as dead. True story. And and, and so the fact that that families are divided in Christ, but Jesus has to be first. And then Jesus said, and he who loves, this is the part I was telling you where Jesus is first, verse 37. He who loves father, mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So the whole point about taking your cross, I just want to point out one quick thing on this verse. The, the cross that Jesus talked about in verse 36, he had not yet died on it. We understand looking back, right? We wear crosses on our necks. Right. We hang crosses on our walls. We have our bumper stickers. We have them all over our house. To us, the cross is a sign of victory. The Bible says the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. So we understand that the cross is powerful, that it's about the cross. But for these guys in that day, they didn't even know. Right. They didn't even figure out until way later that Jesus was going to die on a cross. So when he looks at a group of 12 and he says, hey, you got to take up your cross and follow me. They knew what a cross was. They knew what a Roman crucifixion was, but they hadn't put the two together yet. They knew that it was an instrument of death. And that's what Jesus is saying, that, that you, you have to die to yourself. You have to take up an instrument of death in your life to be a Christ follower, to be a successful Christ follower. When you became a Christian, you, you gave your old life as a down payment. I'm not that old person anymore. And what is the, what is the, the monthly payments on your, on, on your, your, your discipleship? Counting the cost is your future life. And every part of your future life, you die to yourself to be a Christ follower. And that's what Jesus said, or you're not worthy. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life, somehow I skipped forward to that and already preached that. So we're good. He who receives you and me 
Verse 40, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in my name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. So this last section, 40 to 42, is a basic biblical concept. Now that Jesus teaches, David introduced it in the Old Testament. Peter expounds on it in the New Testament. And the principle is that, that those that do ministry together, we share in, in the bounty. We share in the heavenly reward. We share in the eternal reward. So the principle is the same, and that's what Jesus is saying. He, he who gives a cup of cold water, he who receives me receives, um, and he who receives him who sent me, he who receives a prophet in my name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. So whether you give the sermon or whether you, you receive the sermon, we all have the same reward. Whether you go on the mission field or you stay back and you send the money that, that helps the missionary be able to go on the mission field, we all receive in the same reward. If I have a work and you come alongside and you help me in that, we all receive in the same reward. If you're doing something for the Lord and I come alongside you and serve you or help you in that, we all receive in the spoils. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That together we're going to receive in the same reward. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. <clears throat> Father God, we come before you and Father, we thank you so much for this day, Jesus. We thank you for your word, Lord. Father, we thank you for um, Lord, the lessons that we learned today, God. And Father, for just, just what you taught, Lord, about um, Lord receiving in, in each other's rewards. Not to fear man and only to fear God in our lives. Lord, to put you first. To not deny you. To be, be willing to confess you before men so that you don't deny us before the Father. And God, I pray for the, that each of us would have a heart that would just be unashamed of the gospel because of the power of salvation. And Father, I pray for each one in here, Lord, that God, if anybody's going through something in their life today, God, that you'd minister to them, that you'd bless them, that you'd encourage them. And Lord, that, that somebody would, would love across the aisle and, and Lord, somebody would speak into that area of their lives. And God, ultimately, that your spirit would, would touch us and apply these things that we learn to our lives on a daily basis. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that, that, that you love us and that you're alive and you're sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you for your word that changes lives and molds and shapes us. And Lord, we thank you again uh, for Jesus and for the price you paid on the cross. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.